Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 and KSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. Well, happy Sunday morning to you. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension, Lifetime Master Gardener, Garden Columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com, all the ranting at the Farmer Fred Ramp blog page at Twitter.com slash FarmerFred, Daily Garden Tips, lots of snark. The Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page where there is always a garden dialogue going on. And we are talking fruit trees today and fruit bushes and nut trees and nut bushes i'll ask about that phil purcell is here from dave wilson nursery wholesale grower of fruit and nut trees and ornamentals still ornamentals oh absolutely all right okay we'll talk about those too i know the perfect time to talk about ornamentals will be during the garden grappler at 11 o'clock that way we won't accidentally give away any answers okay all right so there is that the garden grappler coming up at 11 hi terry how are you all right terry's running the board today and uh, you'll be chatting to him when you call us with your garden questions. Or you actually you'll be chatting with Mike. I, no, Mike's just going to eat donuts today. Uh, numbers to call in, 576-1578 in the 916 or 866-331-8255. Email, sure, send it to fred at farmerfred.com. And we're answering your fruit tree questions, your nut tree questions well, we've been talking about backyard orchard culture over on the KFBK Garden Show, Phil, and we talk about maintaining a height of deciduous fruit trees at a height of five feet, six feet. Can you do that with nut trees? Sure. So they, I can have a, a six-foot-tall almond tree, for example. Sure. As long as you start from the very beginning, yeah, and you know, that should have no problem whatsoever. Okay. What about walnuts? Walnuts are one that it. That one is, is tough to keep, you know, on the smaller side. Same thing with, let's say, pistachios. But with almonds, they're in the same family as peaches. So you just treat them the same way you would do your peach, you know, your peach bush. That is, I, that still just boggles my mind is that an almond is in the same genus as, say, a peach or a plum. Prunus. It's Prunus, prunus dulcis, I think. Correct. And... Maybe it's not a nut. Maybe it's a fruit. Yeah. I wonder. I don't know. So really, California's not the leading nut grower. They're the leading fruit grower. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> of almonds. But uh, no, well, if they want to call it a nut, fine. Just don't call it milk. All right. Um, <laughs> so I, you, if you listen to the KSTE Farm Hour, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about, as people call in with their questions, actually what we could do is also go into the uh, uh, emails of about what people are writing in about. But let's talk about some good varieties for our area of various apples, peaches, plums, whatever. Maybe your taste test winners or the ones that you've gotten good feedback that have done well for people. And we can even do it in alphabetical order to make things easier so let's talk apples. Now, I think there's a big problem in our area. Well, there's two big problems with apples in our area. Number one is coddling moth. And number two is it ain't getting as cold as it used to get in the wintertime here. There right. is less chill hours. And a lot of the good tasting apples need a lot of chill hours, maybe 800 or so. 
as far as hours between 32 and 45 degrees, which is now kind of old school. Most of uh, the fruit experts out there look at chill units, not chill hours. And a chill unit not only takes into consideration how cold it gets at night, but also how warm it gets during the day, which can have an adverse effect on chilling. And in the week ahead, we're facing that sort of weather where it's going to be into the upper 60s and clear weather for the coming 10 days or so. And that could play havoc with a, a good apple harvest this coming year. Yeah, not just that. We're gonna, we'll see problems in especially the, the cherry crop this year. It's because the, uh, just the, the variation that we've had, you know, we've had cold mornings and next thing you know, we're pushing 70. Yeah. You know, these trees are, are waking up sooner. They didn't get a long dormancy. And uh, especially some of the cherries that are, are very, you know, tend to be more higher chill being and, and such, you know, there's the crop at least for California will be pretty light on that. You know, I think that we might see a lighter crop in almonds too, because maybe three weeks ago when I was going down the valley, some of the almond trees were, you know, some of the later uh, dropping of the leaves varieties. They're, they still they're still green, and already they're starting to produce you know new wood that's getting ready to bloom. So we're talking really three weeks of of dormancy. That will have an adverse effect on, on the crop yield. Then you know that trickles down. You know cherries are going to cost more. You know and, and and such. Well, your commute from home to Dave Wilson's nursery, uh, the growing grounds there in Hickman in Stanislaw County. You're going through cherry country. You're going through San Joaquin County. Right. Cherry land, uh, yeah. they're not blooming yet, are they? They're not blooming yet. Oh, okay, no. good. No. All right. But I wouldn't be a bit surprised if there was a little bit of popping going on, say, in a week or two. Sure, sure. Actually, I was down at the nursery, and our low-chill uh, peaches were in full bloom. Now, that's early. This was last week. So, I mean, it, the trees are, are confused. And it, the trees and people's yards are confused, too. Yeah. So. They're seeing a lot of things happen this year that normally they wouldn't. You know, they're seeing sap bleeding out of out of the trunks of the trees, and they think, well, maybe, maybe my apricot or cherry is diseased. No, all it is is that the trees are getting active. They're taking up water from from the ground. There's no leaves there to absorb the water. So what happens is they push the sap out through through uh, you know the trunks and such. Yeah. It's just stress. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then let me rephrase my question to you. The varieties for our area that are popular but are also low chill. Go ahead and name some. Start with apples. So apples, believe it or not, Fuji. Fuji is about a 500, about a 500 chill hour. Does okay. quite well down in Southern California. Uh, Pink Ladies, lower chill. A lot of those New Zealand varieties, Gala, Braeburn. Mm-hmm. You know, those are varieties that aren't really as as dependent on chill as some of the old-fashioned antique apples. What about Granny Smith? Granny Smith's another good low chill one. Okay. When, when I say low chill, I mean, it's just, we have to understand that in our area up in Sacramento, you know, Central Valley, even the Bay Area, it's, it's low chill is not necessarily a bad word. You know, it's very, everything's very adaptable up here, so especially in the Sacramento region, low chill, high chill, we, we get the benefits of both. So, but basically you'd be looking for something uh, 
with about 500 chill hours? About 500 chill right. hours. And, then, and right now in our area, what we've accumulated so far in the valley at the stations I look at that have uh, chill monitoring units, anywhere from 511 to 547 chill hours so far this year. And uh, that's not bad. But last year at this time, exactly a year ago, we had uh, 700 chill hours. Right. And so we have less chill hours going on. And chill portions, those chill units I talked about earlier that take into consideration cold and heat, right now we have about 50. And last year at this time, we had 55. And when it comes to producing a good crop of fruit, there isn't much good data on that. But from what I've gleaned, it seems that 65 seems to be the magic number of chill portions to produce a good crop, especially of peaches and plums. But will we make it or is it too late? Because if we, say. I mean, we're, we're pushing February, yeah. you know, sometimes the, the, the spring garden season, you know, kind of hits February 15th. So this, it, it's just things are changing here. So, you know, that being said, maybe it's time to really start, you know, considering some of these lower chill fruit. Mm-hmm. Like I say, just because it's low chill doesn't mean that it, it won't do good in our area. We're used to, you know, higher chill fruit. Right. So, so the ones you mentioned then, the Gala, the Fuji, the Brayburn, the Granny Smith, uh, the Pink Lady, good low chill, tasty varieties. Absolutely. For our area. Yep. All right. In alphabetical order, let's talk apricots. Is there such a thing as a good tasting low chill apricot? Yeah, absolutely. There's Katie, there's Gold Kiss. Even the old standby Blenheim apricots are in the 500, you know, chill hour range okay and uh are most of those self-fruitful most yeah most apricots yeah on apricots there's very few that we send out to the garden centers that need a uh, a pollinizer right now we should point out dave wilson nursery is not a retail nursery they're a wholesale grower and they're selling their trees and and vines to your favorite local independent nursery right and uh, they're widely available right now right well right now the quote-unquote buried season Reason why you want to plant your trees right now, best selection of the year. Right. You know, we only ship once a year. So if you want that hard to get variety, get it now or wait till next year. Because as as you go deeper into the season, into summer and the fall, you know, some of those unique varieties where the nurseries don't bring quite as much in per per variety, mm-hmm. they're gonna be sold out. So All right. Low chill, good tasting varieties for your yard. Is it the future for our valley? It could be. We have more suggestions coming up as we continue with the K. Where am I? At Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. My guest, Phil Purcell from Dave Wilson Nursery, wholesale grower of fruit and nut trees. We're tackling your fruit and nut questions, as well as other gardening questions when you phone them in to 576-1578 in the 916 or toll-free 866-331-8255. Email fred at farmerfred.com. All right. We are going through a list of good low-chill varieties for our area of uh, fruit trees. And we've tackled ap- apples, apricots, and that brings us in alphabetical order to cherries. 
A lot of problems with cherries these days. Yeah, I mean, cherries are one that are real sensitive to chill. You mean that they need the they chill? Need the, they need the chill, Yeah, right? Some of these other varieties we can kind of get away with, even with, even with apples mm-hmm. to a certain extent. But we're finding with cherries, you know, they really do require the chill, especially like the bean cherries, the kind of classics. Uh, and up to this point, we've had a low chill cherry combination for the retail uh, garden center called Mini Royal and Royal Lee. Okay. And that has been predominantly marketed to Southern California where there is no chill, but these cherries have been producing, you know, wonderfully. Well, we've come up with a new self-fertile low chill cherry called Royal Crimson. And I think this is kind of a game changer up in Northern California because with the varying chill hours that we've had, a lot of times you don't get the good, strong fruit set that you do, you know, used to get with being. But this one, 200 chill hours, and it, you know, it'll produce just fine up here. So Does it need a pollinizer? It, nope, it's self-fertile. Okay. In fact, the nice thing about it, it will also cross-pollinize mini royal or royal lee. But just know that royal crimson is, is a, if you want to make sure that you, you, you have cherries set, up here, that's one to, to go with. I'm not saying don't plant your beans or your lapins or your rainier, but if you really like cherries, definitely put this one in your mix. And here's a little secret. So the cherry farmers now are, are really focusing in on these Zager low chill varieties for the simple fact that they, under, you know, they understand that it's the chill hours just aren't there. So with cherries, you want to be the first one on the market, you know, because that, that's where they produce you know, the most profit. So they're focusing in all these uh, Zager low chill varieties, and that's what uh, Royal Crimson is. So we got one now for the, the home garden market. All right, called the Royal Crimson Cherry. Uh, I would think if it only needs 200 to 300 chill hours, it might be blooming now or it's getting close. It, it's a little earlier bloomer than, let's say, the Bings and in, in the Vans. But, uh, you know, so it's, it's, it is an early bloomer, but still, it, it probably won't start cracking now for probably another maybe three weeks or so. And it's an early harvester, too. It's early harvest. In what, mid-May? Yes. And now that's an important consideration when you consider the spotted wing Drosophila. Right. And uh, how that's one strategy because people are tired of biting into cherries and finding a worm. And the earlier varieties don't seem to have as much of a problem with this pest as the later maturing varieties, simply because there's fewer uh, bugs, spotted winged drosophilus flying around in, in April. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. early season. Yeah. yeah. All right. But so that's, that's a strategy. I'm not saying it, it's a it, cure-all. It's no. not a cure-all. It's not no. a cure-all. It's just a strategy. Sure. All right. Uh, and again, to recap, because um, I started writing a list down of everything you're saying here, Phil, about low-chill tasty fruit, uh, the apricot varieties that you like for uh, low-chill and uh, early, uh, you mentioned the Katie, or did you? I did. Katie. Yeah. Gold-kissed. Gold-kissed. All right. All right. Now, what about in cherries? You got the Royal Crimson. Anything else? Uh Lappins cherries. Lappins, okay. Yeah, that's about 500 chill hours. Nice thing about Lappins is that it's not immune, but it, it's the, the one problem with 
cherries is that if you get late rains, it tends to crack the fruit. Mm-hmm. Cherry orchards go, you know, they, they fear the, the late thunderstorms. Well, this, this Lappin's doesn't have that problem. They call it the no crack in Lappin. <laughs> and a lot of times people mistake in Lappin cherries for Bing cherries. So that's another great variety. And it's a little later harvest than a Bing? It, well, it's a little earlier than oh, a Bing. Oh, earlier, about four days? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. All right. So there you go. Apricots, apples, cherries. Now, figs are kind of a natural low chill. They are. And uh, what what are some of the good tasting fig varieties that you like to see planted around here? Uh, probably my favorite, Violet de Bordeaux. Violet de Bordeaux. Yep, right. naturally, you know, smaller growing. Uh, Peter's Honey is another good variety. If you want, if you like the white fig, the green fig, hmm. okay. it's very sweet. Um, you know, the 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 classic Cadotas, Black Missions. You know, all those figs they they just do so well where it's hot. And they don't require a lot of water either. They don't. Yeah, so that's a good thing about figs. Um, do we want to talk about jujubes? We can. <laughs> They're super popular. Are they? Okay. Yeah. Uh, basically, I, I know of two that if you have a lang, you need a lee. Right. Uh, because it takes two to tango. Now, the jujube, for those that don't know, it, it's kind of a thorny shrub, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Kind of think of... You know how the pyracantha has those yeah. thorns? Yeah, just like that, huh? It, it is, yeah. It's one of those where you can actually use it for, uh, you know, if you want to keep people out of your yard, plant these, these jujubes. Very heat tolerant. Love them down in the, the desert. Um, and the Asian community just can't get enough jujubes. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a very mild, sweet tasting, almost like an apple fruit. Produces very heavily in the uh, late summer, early fall. And it, uh, very chill hour requirements is like, what, 100? Yeah, something? exactly. Very but, low. But the, the, the crazy thing is, very cold hardy too. So okay. it's both. Now I think there is an underserved area of your fruit collection that uh, deserves a wider spread, and that's mulberries. Because you aren't people are not that familiar with the mulberry fruit. You can't buy them in a grocery store. No, nope, they're too tender they're, to ship. Yeah, they're too. But for going out in the backyard and picking, they're great. They are. They are. Now mulberries, they're fairly low chill to begin with, aren't they? They are. Yeah. Yep. Different types of mulberries. I mean, the most popular would be your Persian, your Pakistan. I have one in my yard called Tea's Weeping, which has a smaller Persian type of you know fruit. Not, they, they're blackberry looking. Uh, the Pakistan is a very long uh, you know, fruit. Mild flavors, but uh, it's something that needs to be eaten right off the, uh, the tree. In fact, I go down there with my dogs. And they, they, they follow me down there. and They know it's time. I, I pick some from me. I pick some from them. They're happy. Yeah, or you just shake the tree and they fall down. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Birds, uh, birds do love the mulberries. Now, I'm looking at the Dave Wilson uh, nursery catalog here, and uh, I see some uh, catalog euphemisms here uh, when it comes to the Pakistan fruiting mulberry. It's vigorous. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a code word, folks. Yes. <laughs> Meaning... Can you keep this under control with pruning? You can. Okay. I mean, you got to stay on top of it. Mulberries are one that, you know, they, they put on so much growth. And, yeah. and people, we've seen it, right? We've seen the fruitless mulberries, same yeah. family. And, you know, it'll, it'll put on 10, 12 feet. 
So easily, you got to you know stay diligent on it. And that's one nice thing about the T's weeping, is that it doesn't get big. It it looks like a big cousin it type of plant, mm. where it just weeps down, okay. and you know so all the fruit's very easy to pick. So it's like about. I guess eventual size would be if you left it on its own demi- uh, own accord, it would be twenty by twenty. On the teas weeping, yeah, boy, I you know I, I guess eventually mine has been in the ground now for say about six years, and it's it's about six feet tall, and I just pruned you know I, I just the the branches go all the way down to the ground, so I just mm-hmm. kind of thinned it out a little bit. Sounds it sounds enticing. Uh, it's, it's a very unique, you yeah. know, edible ornamental. Tea's weeping mulberry, T E A S, like the drink. Tea's like the drink. weeping mulberry. Yeah, and uh, man, if you can maintain it at uh, for years at six feet across and high, that's great. Yep, that's a fruit bush. It is, and it's got blackberry-like fruit. Right. All right. All right. Now we come to nectarines, which are related to peaches, but we'll tackle nectarines first. Uh, very popular in Dave Wilson Nursery uh, taste testing. Uh, there's always some varieties that come out on top in the nectarine group. And are there some low-chill, tasty nectarines? Yeah, two two right off the bat, mm-hmm. Fantasia and Double Delight. Double Delight has double you know, dark pink flowers, so it kind of gives you that ornamental you know, look at the very beginning. But both of those have that classic yellow, just what we call, you know, uh, acid flavor where people kind of used to, you know, when you bite into it and it just has that full flavor. And both of those are, are very low chill. Yeah, Double Delight, 300 hours, Fantasia, 500 hours. So that, that's very good for our area and good tasting too. So that, that's And if you want a sweet, sweet nectarine, I would say... Tough one to beat is Arctic J. Arctic J yeah. for sweet. Yeah, we love sweet. Um, Arctic J is 500 hours as well. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, what's the difference between an Arctic J and an Arctic Glow? A lot of those are just uh, harvest periods. So if you go online and you look at our harvest chart, you'll just see that most of these are just based on when you want the fruit. People mm-hmm. always ask me, well, what's the best you know, nectarine? Yeah. When you want it. I mean, do you want it in June or do you want it in September? Yeah. So. All right. All right. Let's uh, skip over to peaches then. As far as uh, peaches are always popular, a lot of great tasting peaches. Are there some good low chill variety peaches out there? Uh, Red Baron. You really want to go, you know, low chill. That's another one where, you know, it gives you fantastic, you know, flowers. Um. You know, there's the, the what we call the Pride series. From the Zagers, so there's May Pride, Mid Pride, June Pride. All those are low chill varieties. Yeah, real low chill, 150 to 200 hours yeah. for the May Pride. Yep. All right. So May Pride. How does the Garden Gold fit in to what we're talking about here? The Garden Gold is a genetic dwarf variety. So genetic dwarf means that this tree itself will never get taller than let's say about six feet. It's a uh, it's just naturally a dwarf growing variety. The Garden Gold is a, a later bloomer, mm-hmm. later in the summer. You know, good flavor. There's other varieties. There's 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 Honey Bay Peach. There's uh, Pixie Peach. In fact, next year we we found a, a whole new series of genetic dwarf peaches, and that's going to be our new offering 
coming up for 2019. We're, we're freshening up our genetic dwarf varieties because people have smaller yards, right? And they just want a, you know a great tasting peach, and you know they just don't have that much you know, real estate to give to it. So like this year, we have going back to nectarine. We came out with the, the first genetic dwarf white nectarine. It's a numbered variety, so if you oh, go out, one of my favorites. Yeah, so if you go out to uh, the, your stores right now, if you ask for the the two four three BC three three one, I'm there. Yeah. That's a great. It's a fantastic nectarine. <laughs> it's actually was crossed with an apricot, so it's a quote unquote interspecific nectarine. However, it just it's a white nectarine. Flavor is incredible on it. We'll have a new name for that. I hope year. so. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All Along right. with a few other things. Phil Purcell is here from Dave Wilson Nursery. Got a question? Give us a call. The number is to call us at 576-1578 in the 916 or 866-331-8255. You're listening to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Garden Grappler coming up at 11 o'clock. Clue available at FarmerFred.com. Clue available at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. And we are peppering you with clues as we speak here. With Phil Purcell from Dave Wilson Nursery. We're talking about some good, tasty, low-chill varieties of fruit trees that you should probably be growing here in the valley. Just because... You know, it's not so much that there won't be another year where we have a thousand chill hours. We probably will, but the key though is chill units, and it's that daytime heat that subtracts from the effort of all those cold temperatures at night. And when we, when you start looking at chill portions or chill units, you realize, well, things aren't as good as they may seem. So these low chill varieties may become a bigger part of our landscape and. You know, yeah, you can go ahead and grow your favorites like you always have, but maybe a little fruit insurance by growing some of these low-chill varieties that we're talking about. So we covered peaches, Phil. Let's move into the world of pears, both the European and Asian pears. Uh, boy, I'm thinking fire blight. <laughs> well, that's just it, right? So, I mean, the best low-chill pears are the Asian pears. And we also call those fire blight magnets. So it's... <laughs> Pears are a, kind of a subject that, you know, I always tell people, if there's fire blight present in the area, you know, if, if, if you've seen it in the street trees or whatever, it's probably best to go ahead and stay away from, from the pears because okay. we want people to plant something that they're not going to have to, you know, really wrestle with. Yeah. So, but as far as low chill, it's, it's Asian pears, but they're the most susceptible to fire blight. You know, most of European pears need a good, you know, you know, six, seven, eight hundred hours. We like mm-hmm. to promote the uh, the blight resistant pears, but all those are you know really you know they come they're developed in areas where there's you know more up in the north and such. They they bloom later. That's what makes them fire blight resistant. But they knew they that they, they do need you know more chill hours. There's right. not a lot of fudging around on pears. So I, I guess in the case of the uh, European pears, uh, there are some low chill varieties out there, but maybe taste might be an issue. Yeah, and okay. and Bartlett is what we consider a lower chill variety. 
500 to 600 hours. Unfortunately, of the European pairs, it's the most res- or most prone yeah. to, to fire blight. So fire blight, you know, that equation starts coming back in when we talk about pears. So what about these varieties you have in your catalog, like uh, the Southern King or the Tenosui? How do you say that? Tenosui? Tenosui. Yeah. Tenosui only needs between 150 and 450 as far as hours go, chill hours, and the Southern King 400 hours. But uh, I am not familiar with either of those. No, you know, they're not widely planted out here on the West because we have all the other varieties. We grow those specifically for kind of the Georgia southern texas area mm-hmm. where uh you know that that's pretty much what we grow those varieties for is that your way of saying they don't do well here well it's not that they don't do well they're not popular yeah. and, and we really haven't tried it so we don't have you know the data of how well it does out here in california because we have you know for years and years we had all these other great varieties it might be worth a test could be yeah if there is more low chill in our future yep persimmons a, a favorite of a lot of people, uh, I don't think I'm telling tales out of school when I think the biggest selling item out of your catalog is the Fuyu persimmon. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yep. And uh, Fuyu persimmon doesn't require that much in the way of chill, does it? No. Nope. 200 hours. 200 yeah. hours. Yeah. And uh, tasty? Yep. What are, what are some of your favorite tasty persimmons? Well, right off the bat, it's, it's Fuyu. Yeah. And, you know, hands down, we sell 10 times as many of Fuyu's as you know anything else as far as astringent or you know the type you have to let soften up yeah. it'd be hachia mm-hmm. so fuyu and hachia make up most of our sales but a really good one an early variety is the coffee cake and when you bite into it a lot of people think that it's rotten because it has this marbling brown within the the, the orange that just means that it was you know it's been pollinated and it's ready to go the coffee cake persimmon. Yes. Kind of has a, a a spicy, kind of like a cinnamon flavor to it. And it's a good month before the regular Fuyu persimmon. Hmm, really? So, yeah. And Fuyu is October or November usually. Into December. Into yeah. December, yeah. yeah depending and on the year. So, uh, yeah. And persimmons, that's the beauty of persimmons is they can hang on the tree quite they a do. while. Exactly. Yeah. You know, if, if you don't get them, the birds will. Uh, but, again, uh you probably would prefer a non-astringent variety. If you're gonna, if you're going to start off with persimmons, yeah, yeah, start with fuyu. Yeah, because if you pick off a, a hachia right off the tree and bite into it, you're going to be making the funniest face. You will that you've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, so you want a non-astringent variety like the fuyu or the coffee cake. Coffee. Yeah. All right. Uh, plums in the world of plums. You got Japanese plums. You got European plums. Explain the difference. So European plums are, you know. Basically, they came from Europe. They're prunes. They're prunes. Yeah. Yep. You go into the East Coast, they think that that's what they plant. You know, they, they tend to plant them because they're very cold hardy. Mm-hmm. Uh, out here, predominantly, unless you're in a prune orchard, maybe up in the, you know, up north around Chico, it's all Japanese plums, plums and pluots. And uh, most of those are pretty, you know, they're pretty adaptable. You see most of your plums, there, there aren't very many high chill varieties. They're all kind of, they, they'll do well in the, the, the four or 500 hours. So, I mean, with plums, it's, you can pretty much go into any nursery, pick a plum, and, and, and you know, know that it's going to do well, whether it's here or even in the Bay Area. 
And for your favorite plums, I know my favorite plum that I've done at the taste test at Dave Wilson Nursery is the Weeping Santa Rosa. I just love the taste of that. For me, Emerald Butte. Okay. And that one is the latest plum that we have. It's a green plum. And it literally hangs on the tree. And we, we pick it all September and most of October. That's late. All right. It's very late, yeah. The one thing with Emerald Butte, it does need a pollinizer. And it's a later bloomer. So I actually planted a Shiro plum, right? I mean, literally, not just in the same hole, literally three inches away. I just stuck it right there. And it is forming one tree, like this double trunk tree. Mm-hmm. And uh, that one, it, since it blooms at the same time, I get Shiro, which is an early plum. And then I get Emerald Butte, which is a late plum. All right. Could you put a, a Santa Rosa in there? Santa Rosa, you could. Yeah. Uh, sometimes if the Santa Rosa, like this year, Santa Rosa might bloom a little earlier and it's, it's, it's bloom might not catch the later blooming Emerald Butte. Mm. So just, just as an insurance policy, I put the Shura right there because I like that Emerald Butte so much. All right. Uh, we have to take a break. When we come back, let's delve into my, my favorite category of fruits, and that's pluots and maybe apriums, too. We'll talk about that. When we come back to the uh, Where Am I? Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Mr. World here. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. With Philip herself and Dave Wilson Nursery, we're talking about good, low, chill, tasty fruit tree varieties for your backyard that you might be willing to try. Now, we've come up to the, into the letter P, one of my favorites, the pluot, which is a plum apricot cross. Right. And its close relative, the aprium, which right. is an apricot plum cross, which, what is the difference? So with the pluot, it is predominantly plum or pluot. That's been crossed with an apricot. So think of it as 75% plum, 25% apricot. On the other side, the aprium. aprium side, yeah. Same thing. 75% apricot, 25% plum. Is the pluot bigger than the aprium as far as the size of the fruit? Well, it, yeah, and it's completely different looking. I mean, a, a pluot, if you look at it, you think it's a plum. Yeah. In fact, you go back east. They don't realize they're eating pluots all summer. They call them plums. And same, you know, same thing. Going back east, the the apremes that they're eating, they just call it apricots. So they, it's just the characteristics are transferred from one to the other, and it's to just give you a more, uh, you know, unique flavor into that that fruit. And we're also doing pluaries, which is a plum cherry cross. So, and these are all just hybrid fruit. You know, I. Probably my number one question from a homeowner is, well, is that, you know, is that fruit of yours genetically engineered? And I have to assure him there's no moose gene, no trout gene in ours. <laughs> it's just a hybrid, just, right. you know, Luther Burbank hybrid, just taken to a, to a little bit more sophisticated, you know, level. Even though it comes from a place called Zager Genetics, but Floyd adopted the word genetics back when genetics basically meant hybridization. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it didn't have the same connotation as it does right now. And we've asked them, well, do you ever consider changing your name? And they said no. So <laughs> <laughs> Now, unfortunately, my favorite pluot is a high chill variety, the Flavor Supreme. Right. 800 hours, 700 to 800 hours or so. 
And uh, growing that over the years, there have been years of good crops and years of not so good crops. Yep. And it's Stingy almost you producer at times. Yeah, it can be. And so I, I've kind of leaned more now uh, to the flavor king or flavor queen. Right. They seem to be more consistent producers. They are, along with uh, like Dapo Dandy. So those three kind of make up, you know, the, the most popular of our pluots. Okay, Flavor King, Flavor Queen, and Dapple Dandy? Yeah. All right. And uh, what would be the uh, harvest succession of these? It would be... I know. Caught you by surprise. Though. Right, yeah. I would think first would be Flavor King, maybe? I don't know. Let's see here. The, the thing is, that they're, they're real close on those two. So yeah. you know, according to our chart and, and always our chart kind of varies. See, we have them all in August. So okay. Flavor Queen, Dapple Dandy, Flavor King. Yeah. But the Flavor Supreme was always my favorite because it was ready at the end of June. It was right. So, you know, and we have one that it's very low chill uh, called Dapple Supreme. Mm-hmm. The thing with Dapple Supreme is that you really need to plant it. it. It's a very early bloomer. So you'd have to plant it with something like uh Mustard. <laughs> a very early uh, blooming plum, but the fruit itself is fantastic. So, what's an early blooming plum? Something, and, and you know, something like Flavorosa. Okay. Um, you know, Hollywood, Catalina plum. All those are really considered, uh, you know, real early. Emerald drop, pluot. Oh, okay. So, an animal drop pluot is, is another really you know high flavor. The thing with all of our pluots is that the Zagers produce so many of them, and what we do is we just of all the pluots, we really focus in on the highest flavored ones that mm-hmm. when we run through our taste tests, you know that that score the highest. And that's it. That we should talk a little bit about those taste tests because it's not just one category of did you like it or not. There are what seven distinct categories, right? Of of what you're looking at, yeah. and it involves looking at it too. You're you're looking at cosmetically. Is it appealing on the inside? Is it appealing on the outside? Is it sweet? Is it tart? Is it firm? Is it soft? Right. We take all that and then we accumulate the score. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, we kind of have industry professionals come in and, and, and judge it. Because w- at Day Wilson Nursery, we kind of have our own favorites. We're around them all the time. But sometimes it's, it's really important to get other people's view yeah. on what they think. And from there, that's how we decide to, to, to pick something new. Okay, that makes sense. I, I know at apple tastings, if you could imagine sitting down and tasting 29 different apple varieties and distinguishing between them all good luck. Uh, but I, I think people, when it comes to apple tasting, fall into one of two camps. They either are tart lovers or they're sweet lovers. Right. And with the pluots, it's just every single piece has its own unique flavor. Right. Yeah. And aroma too. It does. I love the aroma of the pluot more. And that brings up another interesting question. I've often wondered too, when I talk about pluots and people say, oh, I'll have to try that. And they go to a grocery store and they buy what's labeled a pluot and they taste it and they go, well, it's okay, but there's nothing great about it. Why is that? What is it with grocery store pluots that have maybe half the flavor of a homegrown pluot? 
probably the number one reason is that they're picked very early in the process, mm. right? They, they want to be able to ship it all over the place. So they're picking it unripe. Oh, okay. Sort of like tomatoes. Right. And then the other, other thing is that the commercial market looks for different things than the, what we call the, the retail market. We're all about flavor. We don't right. care if it's soft or if it's just misshapen. Shippability is what they're looking for. Right. So you get maybe not the highest flavor pluot mixed in with them picking it really two weeks too soon. And sometimes that's how you get, you know, especially at a grocery store, you, you, you don't get that full flavor pluot. You know, you get more of that in the, the farmer's market because he's able to, you know, react and pick right. it pretty much when it's ready. Yeah. So you can have maybe that same variety from the grocery store to the farmer's market, it might have two complete different tastes. Yeah. It's just because windows thick. No, there's no question that if you shop at a farmer's market, there is a wider variety of uh, fruit to taste. It's not just one species. It's right. all sorts of different ones. Right. And like you say, they're not that concerned about shipping because they're only putting it in a box in their truck and taking it to wherever sure. to uh, sell for the day. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's not that big a deal. All right, so we've, we've uh, done through pluots. Um, you want to talk about pomegranates? Sure. All right, pomegranates, are they low chill, high chill? Look like low chill to me. They're low chill. Is there such a thing as a good pomegranate? Parfianca. Okay, yes it is. <laughs> Parfianca is our favorite. I mean, it, it has everything. It has that full flavor that you kind of expect without the tartness. A lot of times, like wonderful, great variety, but, you know, it... it Tends to have the you know the pucker factor sometimes, yeah. and parfianca has a nice full flavor, sweet, but also the seeds are very soft. Some some varieties, the the seeds can be kind of hard. So you know as you eat them, you, you know you crunch on them. You're thinking, eh, that's a little bit like a two by four. The fruit, you know, the flavor might be fine, but the parfianca kind of encompasses everything. And, and by far, if I was just to plant one. Mm-hmm. I'd start off with Parfianca and then branch out from there. Okay. Probably most people are familiar with the Wonderful. Wonderful, yes. Yeah, and they're all like 150 hours, right. chill hours as yep. far as that goes. What about the feature of the pomegranate and the leaf-footed bug? Okay, it's it's a problem. <laughs> it's, <laughs> Sounds like, is it a commercial problem? I, I, I haven't heard that one. Oh. Leaf-footed. Uh, the leaf-footed bug, yeah. Not the brown marmorated stink bug, but the leaf-footed bug on pomegranates i'm not familiar all right we'll tackle that during the news sounds good all right the um teach me all right (laughs) all right you know something that's going to be blooming here very shortly are quinces and i imagine you're selling the quinces as ornamentals primarily uh yeah i mean we do fruiting quince but really coming up here the, the the you know the early flowering varieties are or kind of coincide with Chinese New Year's, so mm-hmm. like Texas Scarlet and such. We sell that predominantly as an ornamental for the Asian flower market. Oh, okay. It makes sense. They, by the way, if you have access to a flowering quince, uh, they're great uh, for cutting a branch right before those blossoms open, bring them indoors, and uh, they'll blossom for you That's indoors. exactly what the, the guys in the Bay Area do. Yeah. They buy our plants, and then they just use, they cut the sprays, and go with it we're going to take a break when we come back garden grappler time kicking off hour number two of get growing right here on talk 650 kste and kste.com statistics show
You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, it's Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred prize closet. You got to call us, though, to win. Today's Garden Grappler question. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, little animals gathered there by the light of the electric radio, we are going through the doldrum week of TV sports currently. It is the absolute worst weekend for major sports. Super Bowl is until next week. But to get you into a Super Bowl frame of mind, we have a football question for you related to fruit trees. Here is what I want you to do. Name a deciduous fruit tree variety that begins with one of the letters from the word patriots or eagles. Now, notice I said variety, so you can't say peach, all right? You have to name a variety of peach. Now, uh, let's use an, an obscure example of an answer. So let's say in the word patriots, if I wanted to mention a, an, a peach variety uh, that has a letter from the word patriots in it, I might say something like uh, Snow King White Peach, because that's an S. All right. And it doesn't have to be a peach. It, it could be any deciduous fruit tree. But pick a variety in that line of fruit trees and then assign to it a letter from the word patriots or eagles. Unlike similar garden grapplers, all the letters will remain in play. So if somebody uses the P, not a problem. Somebody uses the G, not a problem. If you have another one that begins with one of those letters, that's fine. So name a deciduous fruit tree variety that begins with one of the letters from the word patriots. I'll spell that P-A-T-R-I-O-T-S or eagles, E-A-G-L-E-S. And be specific, okay? All five callers get a prize. Special bonus prize for caller five. Clue available at FarmerFred.com. Clue available at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. If we don't get a winner, Mike or Terry, which one of you wants a fruit tree? (laughs) Okay, all right. Now, if I had said beer, they both would have raised their hand, but no. Anyway, so the numbers to call in, 576-1578 in the 916 or 866-331-8255. Again, 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255. Name a deciduous fruit tree variety. Deciduous meaning it loses its leaves in the fall. All right. Name a deciduous fruit tree variety that begins with one of the letters from the word patriots or eagles. I am glad to see the phone ringing. All right. So Phil, Phil Purcell from Dave Wilson Nursery is here. He's the official judge and hanging jury for today's competition. Phil, uh, our job now is not to mention a specific variety for the next 10 minutes or so while people call in. All right. So let's talk about something else that uh, Dave Wilson sells, and that would be shade trees. Yes, we do. Wow. All right. People are planting shade trees. Good for them. Yep. What are the most popular ones? Um, still, you know, like... October Glory Maples. Oh, yeah. Um, pistache Keith Davies. You have those in stock? We're growing them. Okay, all right. So what we do is with our shade trees, we don't send to the regular uh, independent garden center. Mm-hmm. You know, we grow them for the big wholesale growers who then, you know, in turn pot them up. So, you know, still things like ashes and, you know, right now, Still popular, who knows, in a couple of years, 
with the uh, emerald ash borer possibly moving out this way. But uh, it's still, you know, native oaks are very popular mm-hmm. out here. Quercus lobatas and Valley such. oaks, yeah. Valley oaks, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, I mean, we do just uh, a whole, you know, assortment of fruit or fruit shade trees that uh, we target for, you know, our wholesale growers. So. Including the fruitless mulberry. Yes. Yes. All right, because people yeah. want it. They still do. I mean, it's really popular down in the desert region. Mm-hmm. It just grows fast, and you know, you put it out in a an area where you can let it grow without cutting, having to cut it back. You know, it's a, it's actually a very nice tree. One of my favorite um, ornamental trees to grow, and it's a California native. Doesn't require much water and maintains interest ten or eleven months a year. Is the purple smoke tree? Yes, the Catinus cajagria, and you carry the purple smoke tree. And it's just, what makes it great are those clusters of fuzzy purple flower stalks that look like puffs of right. smoke right. that linger on the tree for months. Yeah. And the leaves turn color. They do. I mean, you know, they're purple, and then they really get kind of a fiery red in, in, in the fall time. Mm-hmm. They don't get too big, you know, relatively drought tolerant. So, and, and on top of that, it's not a big tree. Right. So, you it's like know, 20 feet. Yeah. At, at, if that, if that, so and it, with almost an equal spread. Right. So, you know, it's, it, it works well in, in, in most backyards. Mm-hmm. Uh, red buds are really popular, especially the Oklahoma when it's blooming and has that, you know, that magenta bright, hot magenta flower. It's uh you know, it, it's, it's kind of a showstopper. That's another one that, you know, we really don't see getting super huge. As opposed to like the regular eastern red bud, which we graft the the Oklahoma red bud onto. And it has nice shiny foliage as opposed to the eastern red bud, which kind of has that duller green right. foliage to it. So, But uh, but you do carry the western red bud. Yeah, the western is, red bud is, is very you know popular because, mm-hmm. geez, you go up uh, Highway 50, you see it up there in Shingle Springs. I'm Every time I go up there and it's in bloom, I try to find a, you know, someday I'm going to try to find one that just has a little bit different color or try to find a Western red bud that doesn't have seeds. And then, uh, you know, it's, it's, that's something that we're always looking for. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's, uh, more shrub like than it an is. Eastern red bud. It is. It's, a, it's, it's smaller growing. So we grow it yeah. in tree form and in shrub form. And in the tree form, it's just, you know, it's not nearly as invasive or as vigorous growing as the eastern redbud. There are some beautiful trees on your list. One of them, I had actually two of them in our backyard in Harold that were the focal point trees of the backyard. And in retrospect, it would be like a person going out and for their first sports car, getting some finicky Italian sports car. And because it's beautiful, right? And it's great looking, and but it requires maintenance, and that is the Japanese pagoda tree. Yes, which it it, it is a gorgeous tree. I, I love the pea like uh, leaves on it, and it flowers in the summer, which is interesting. Right after the leaves are out, and then it leaves uh, fruit uh, pods. It's almost like a legume. Uh, that it leaves. Uh, now, one ins- issue we discovered with the Japanese pagoda tree is that because it flowers in the summertime, do not put it upwind of a swimming pool. Okay. You don't want to do that. Right. And the weight of those seed pods can 
break those branches in the wintertime when the winds come up. Sure. So it does require, but it's a beautiful tree. Again, if you're into maintenance of trees and you want a pretty tree, (laughs) I should have listened to the very cryptic warning of a landscaper who visited me soon after I planted those two trees. And he took one look at him and he said, hmm, you're brave. (laughs) I should have read something into that. All right. So you got the red buds. You got all sorts of like the. You're right about the October Glory maple. That is probably one of the most spectacular uh, red-colored maple trees in the fall for our area. It is yeah. big leaf. Yeah, just a great uh, uh, maple tree for our area. Um, the, the Chautauqua had their run. I don't know if I'd plant another one, but I, I see them actually kind of showing up more and more. The Chautauquas are a flowering tree or shrub, right? And uh, Again, drought tolerant, very drought tolerant. Yeah, I think they're planted best on hillsides. Yeah, the the place where they are best on display that I've seen. I haven't been there in a while, and I don't know if they still have them there. But you may have been up at Amador Flower Farm. They had them on a hillside, and in the, the early summer, they were just gorgeous. Right. Um, so, but it's something to consider too if you're looking for a, a flowering tree like that. And, yeah, you've got all sorts of, uh, in your catalog, all sorts of uh, great shade trees that may do. You know, too, is the new line of elm trees that are resistant to the problems of the old elms. Correct. And what what are some of those? Like Frontier mm-hmm. uh, is probably the most popular. Um, yeah, you know, I, since you're on that subject, a, a word or two about the Frontier elm. One of the questions that we get, a lot is I need a fast-growing privacy screen to block the second-story window of my neighbors. And the frontier elm is a, actually a, a pyramidal, almost a narrow-growing uh, tree. It only gets about 15 feet wide by about 25 feet tall. Right. Which for, I'm not saying plant it next to a fence, don't do that, but eight feet away from a fence is fine and it won't take up as much space laterally. And so that might be a good choice. Right. For people, the frontier elm. Anything else there on your list? You know, alley, which is it, it's a variety of you know uh, evergreen elm. Mm-hmm. It's also popular. Okay. That's a Chinese elm, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. A l l e e. Correct. And uh, and then you know there's they're they're coming up with more more and more new introductions off of off of you know these elm trees. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they're, they'd say yeah they they've. Uh, done a lot of uh, research into fighting Dutch elm disease and have come up with a lot of varieties that are resistant. Right. And probably the uh, bigger seller right now of all those varieties is that frontier elm. It is. All right. Well, look at that. We've got people lined up for the garden grappler. So what we're going to do is take a break. And then when we come back, we will get to your answers on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, we have five people lined up. Five people who say they can name a variety of deciduous fruit tree that begins with one of the letters from the word Patriots or Eagles, the two teams playing in next Sunday's Super Bowl. And Phil is a noted uh, football fan and fruit tree grower, so Phil Purcell will judge the answer sounds here. good all right good combination here all right number one the first caller tyler in fair oaks hi tyler 
Hello. Hey guys, how y'all doing today? We're doing Good. fine. So what variety of a deciduous fruit tree do you want to mention that begins with a letter from the word patriots or eagles? Well, I'm going to choose the uh, patriots because that's who I'm going to be rooting for on Sunday. And hopefully the uh, autumn red peach maybe qualifies. Well, actually, what that would qualify for would be the A. And patriot, Oh. That's okay. You, you, it could be any letter from the word Eagles or Patriots. You just didn't know you were choosing the A. A, yes. <laughs> yes. And that again, what was that variety, Phil? Autumn red peach. The autumn red peach. You, you got a question mark in your voice, Phil. I'm not familiar with that one. Well, let's... But that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Well, I know where to go for the answer. I'm going there right All now. All right, yes. Autumn red peach. All right. Where'd you come up with that, Tyler? Uh, you know, I referenced the uh, good old internet. Here. Yeah, there you go. It is. It's uh, There is this autumn red peach. There it is. Yeah. Uh, uh, Prunus persica, autumn red peach. I don't know what they're talking about here, but okay, whatever. That works. Yeah, it works. Wikipedia wouldn't lie to us because they're always asking for money. All right. <laughs> so good, good answer there with the autumn red peach, Tyler. I'll be sending you, since you're uh, caller number one, I've got for you two of my most favorite paper ha- uh handouts the choosing and planting bare root fruit and nut trees as well as my handout on growing winter vegetables so i'll be sending that your way awesome thanks guys. all right tyler thanks for the call appreciate it all right caller number two in today's garden grappler it's sarah here in sacramento so sarah you have an idea of how this contest is played right yes i do i thought so so go ahead and uh, throw us a variety well i'm going with one that i have growing in my yard right now and it's the gold dust peach Gold dust peach. I guess the, that would be the G for eagles. Yes. All right. Phil, what do you know about the gold dust peach? It's a really good early season, you know, yellow peach, yeah. high flavor. Yeah. Does well in this area. It's actually on the uh, the, the combination, I believe. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, well, shh. don't want to mention the grand prize yet. All right. Some okay. combination. <laughs> All right. But okay. The, uh, the Sarah, <laughs> good job with that. And I'll be sending you those handouts. Okay. Okay. Thank All right. Thank, thanks for calling. Bye bye. Uh, it's Roberta in Garden Valley. Hi, Roberta. Hello. It's nice, warm, and sunny. And I'm itching to get in the soil. Yeah, I know. It's a disease. It's That happens. <laughs> yes. So, what uh, variety of uh, deciduous fruit tree do you want to mention that begins with a letter from the word uh, eagles or patriots? Oh, there's so many. Let's let's go with the Lappin cherry. The Lappin cherry. Let's see. The L would be an eagles, right? Okay. So so far, we've got two votes for eagles and one for patriots here. Hmm, that's interesting. I might have to make my betting decision based <laughs> on this. <laughs> on this. <laughs> All right, Lappin cherry. You talked about it earlier, Phil. But uh, fill us in again. It's probably the most uh, productive and reliable cherry that you know, that's out there right now. Mm-hmm. You know, relatively low chill. Uh, Self-fertile, and, uh, you know, like I say, people call it the, the self-fertile being. So. All right, the lap and cherry. Good job, Roberta. I'll be sending you my handouts on choosing and planting bare root fruit and nut trees, along with my handout on growing winter vegetables. Thank you. You're welcome, Roberta. Thanks for calling in. Appreciate it. All right, caller number four in today's Garden Grappler up in Auburn, it's Joe. Hi, Joe. How you doing? Doing fine. Go ahead, give us one of them. Their varieties that begins with a letter from Peach or from uh, Patriots or Eagles. Uh, Emerald Butte. All right, the Emerald Butte plum. Uh, plum. Plum. Yes. All right, and the E again. There are plenty of eagles or words in the E. In, it's 
Telling me something. Yeah, I know. That's another Eagles <laughs> vote here with the Emerald Butte Plum. Joe, I'll be sending you the those handouts, okay? Okay, I, I got one thing to say. I called last year about a fig, and I, uh, for nine years I, I've never I got a lot of fruit, but it was always uh, bone dry inside. And I went to the show uh, with the uh, uh, Bear Root show, and uh, I talked to uh, a master gardener there, and he said, how did you plant it? Was it a bare root? And I said, yes, it was. <laughs> he says they will not bear uh, fruit that is going to be productive inside. In other words, right. But uh, they'll show, but it'll always be dry inside. Uh, I don't hmm. know about that. Um, and now yeah, there, there is something to be said for planting figs that have an established root system. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In fact, we don't sell bare root figs. All of ours are in, you know, they're already planted up in, in liners just because yeah. figs tend to desiccate as a bare root. So, you know, homeowners just don't have a yeah. lot of success with them. So I would think, what, what I'm sure you've heard this question too, Phil, about people complaining about dry figs. Right. And what is the usual cause? The usual cause is that it's, you know, it's a seedling grown fig. Oh. Oh, okay. That you know, right. it's it's not a cutting grown, so that it's you know it's doesn't come off productive. You know, oh. it's not like a regular variety. Okay, all right. So that that so Joe was that variety from seed? No, it was from a, a ninety year old tree that uh, was springing up off the side of it, and the person a friend of mine uh, pulled it out, and when I got it, it was just. Uh, you know, pulled out of the ground, and I planted it nine years ago. Never had any, lots of fruit, but nothing uh, edible. Could also be that, you know, that's a variety that needs the, you know, the the wasp to, to pollenize it, mm. to make it, you know, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's a Smyrna fig. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I opened it up. I took it over to Isley's Nursery. We opened up some, and you can actually see the little bug inside. And she thought it was maybe an infestation of a, you know, of an insect that was causing that. Uh, I think the fact that it's just coming off of a, an older tree that you don't know the parentage of it is... is... No, I don't. It's just a 90-year-old tree that yeah. moved, up, moved up in Auburn. It was already established. And, and Do you know, was the fruit on that tree good to begin yes, with? Yes, it was. Yeah, because we'd go up there and pick every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. One of the mysteries of life. Yep. All right. Yeah. Well, Joe, at least you won some pieces of paper from me. All right. So, okay. so there's that. All right. Joe, thanks for calling. All right. You're welcome. All right. Bye bye. That takes us to caller number five in today's Garden Grappler. It's Gail in Vacaville. Hi, Gail. Hello. Say, Gail, do you have room for a fruit tree in your yard? I definitely do. I need four more in my orchard. Well, how about a five in one fruit salad tree featuring. Some varieties I won't mention because they would be possible answers to today's garden grappler. So you go ahead, Gail, first, and you tell me a variety of uh, deciduous fruit tree that begins with one of the letters from the words patriots or eagles. Okay, I'm going to go with one of my favorites, a rainier cherry. A rainier cherry. Well, there's your uh, second vote for the patriots, Phil. Yes. (laughs) So basically it's a coin, coin flip. Yeah, it well, three against two. Three against two. Yeah. yeah. All right. So the Rainier cherry is that a good answer? This is oh, a yeah, big absolutely. prize, Phil. Oh, absolutely. All right. Then yep. all right. Congratulations, there, Gail. I've got for you. Thank you. The the combination: the Gold Dust Peach, the July Alberta Peach, the Independence Nectarine, the Blenheim Apricot, and the Late Santa Rosa Plum. 
And and here's Phil awesome. Purcell to tell you more about them. Okay, so this right here is, you know, it's what we call our fruit salad tree. So we've grafted five varieties onto one tree and uh, has apricot, plum, mm-hmm. two peaches, nectarine. We can do that because they're in the same family. And a staggered harvest for these. And a sta- yeah, staggered harvest. Mm-hmm. Uh, just really important with these multi-budded fruit trees. You want to make sure the first, you know, two, three years, you don't want to let any one variety take over. So don't be afraid. If you, if you notice one of the branches getting, you know, growing more vigorous than the other, cut it back and let everything okay. kind of balance itself out. And here's another okay. tip for multi-budded fruit trees. They, each of the specific branches that have different fruit on it will have a tag on it to let you know that that branch is whatever variety. Right. You, you might find five different colors of paint and paint a portion of each of those branches a specific color so that you can remember what kind of variety of fruit is that branch. Right. Well, actually, we do that. Oh, do you? Yeah, they're all color-coded. So okay, so you just case, refreshing it then right. every now and then. Just be careful when you're pruning it back. You don't prune it all the way back to the, the trunk of the tree because you just took that one variety out. Yeah, So that's important. Don't get too good. Yeah. Too aggressive. All right. <laughs> yeah, well, Gail, congratulations. Yeah, enjoy Thank it. Thank you. I I do have a quick question. Sure. Um, I wanted to know the best variety of lavender to plant in this area. The best variety of lavender. Boy, are you talking to the wrong guy? Uh, <laughs> it's. I don't know. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Gail, I tell you what. I'm gonna do. I'm going to look that up when I get home, and okay. I will then include that information in the envelope I will send you. Oh, I appreciate that very much. Thank okay. you. And then I will share with everybody else what I found out next week. Awesome. (laughs) All right. All right, Gail, congratulations. Thank you very much. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. And Mr. Purcell, always a pleasure having you here. Thanks for having me. Appreciate that. Yeah. And uh, again, for more information, including their wonderful uh, informative fruit tube videos, visit DaveWilson.com. You're going to find out all sorts of information about fruit trees, how to take care of the trees, Uh, Their fruit taste testing results, that great chart where you can, if you want uh, different varieties to have a staggered harvest season throughout the uh, late spring, throughout the summer, you can do so by basically shopping that list. The only thing we sell on our website is information, which is free. Right. So Exactly. Yep. There you go. And Phil, thanks for dropping by. Appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. All right. When we come back, we're going to plant some sweet potatoes. What? Yes. Growing Sweet Potatoes in Sacramento coming up as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Dave Ramsey here. You are listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Have you ever grown a sweet potato? Do you know what a sweet potato is? Well, there are some tricks to growing sweet potatoes. We're here at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. We are talking to the local master gardener, sweet potato expert, Gail Pothauer, who has grown them over the years. They grow them here at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. Gail, what exactly is a sweet potato? Well, actually, a sweet potato is not a potato at all. At least it's not related to the russet potato or the Yukon gold that we're familiar with. It's actually in the morning glory family. And so it's not really a potato at all. 
that sounds like it would have really nice flowers too. It does. It's got beautiful flowers. If you've seen the flowers of morning glories, that's the same flower that you have on the vine of a sweet potato. And they can be white or purple or kind of a pink color. So if people want to grow their own sweet potatoes for something like sweet potato fries, they can do so here in the Sacramento area? Yes, they are a warm season crop, so you will not plant them until at least May when the soil temperature has warmed up and also the air temperature. And you usually do not get sweet potato slips from the growers until early to mid-May. And why wouldn't you just take a sweet potato from a grocery store and use that? Well, I suppose you could. Um, you could uh, propagate it just like you did in science class where you put toothpicks in the sweet potato and put half of it in water and the bottom half roots and the top sends up sprouts. It's the sprouts that you break off and those are what you plant. However, doing that with something you've purchased from the grocery store, you don't know if it's disease-free. And so we always encourage get them from a grower that does sell disease free slips. And it's quite possible that, like a potato, the sweet potato may have been treated with some sort of anti-sprouting agent. That's true. I am not aware that they do that, but it seems logical that they would, so they wouldn't sprout in transit or when they're sitting on the grocery store shelf. So your best bet is to find somebody who sells sweet potato slips. And from what I understand in your search here at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, it's a, it's a search to find those. It is. You'll see them for sale in seed catalogs. And often if you read the fine print, it will say cannot ship to California because California has a quarantine for the sweet potato weevil. So it's a little difficult to find sweet potato slips, and I'm not aware that too many nurseries sell them, although um, I suppose if you asked your local nursery, they might be able to obtain them. But we did find a few places that sell them uh, and that can ship them to California. And we do have an environmental horticulture note that we've prepared here in the Master Gardener office that's available online. But we have found that you can get them from Victory Seed Company up in Oregon, So True Seed in Asheville, North Carolina, and Seeds and Such in Graniteville, South Carolina. So apparently they have met the requirements that allow them to be shipped to California. By the way, you called this your office. You have a nice office here. I do. We have a very nice office, and it's sunny today. <laughs> yes, here at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, uh, where you work exclusively, or at least primarily here in the vegetables section. Yes. And uh, sweet potatoes, I imagine, would benefit from good drainage. Absolutely. Uh, the year that we grew them in, about three years ago, we did them in our raised bed that's tw uh, 24 inches tall. And we had great luck with those potatoes. And this year, we hope to try them in straw bales. So the drainage should be perfect. Is the jury out on straw bale gardening here in California? I think so. We have been doing it for about five years and have had great luck until the last two years. We've encountered um, fusarium wilt, which we think is fusarium, either wilt or crown rot, in our straw bales. And it's kind of a puzzle because there's no soil in straw, and fusarium is a fungal disease that's carried in soil. And we've had the state lab check the last two years, and we can't figure out how we get fusarium in our straw. So we've decided no more tomatoes for us in straw because we do have a fusarium issue even in our raised beds here. So we uh, have always had luck with melons and squash and watermelons and pumpkins. So this year we're going to try sweet potatoes in them. All right, but let's get back to some sweet yes. potato basics here. Unlike a 
baking potato, you do not take an eye out of a sweet potato and throw it in the ground and stand back and wait. There's a, a process involved, isn't there? That's correct. When we order them from a grower, he sends us the slip. So as I said, like a old science project where you grow the sweet potato and you get roots on the top and the sprouts come out the uh, out the little eyes, you break those off and then that's what you stick in the ground and they do root. So you're propagating a vine, not the little potato part. So you break off the vine totally from yeah, the base? You just snap it right off from the base and then you stick that in the ground and roots form. Oh, okay. And, but you don't have to treat it first? Nope. In fact, when we got them from the grower, he said um, some of them may have roots. Some may develop roots in transit while he was shipping them to us. He had them wrapped in newspaper and kind of a sawdust. And he said if there weren't even roots on them when we received them, just go ahead and stick them in the ground. And every one of them came up. What is the best environment for those sweet potato slips to sprout? Do you need any sort of uh, special soil or uh, bottom heat? No, we just stuck them in the soil in our raised beds. They are a vine, so we need to have some kind of a trellising system for them to grow. I mean, you could grow them, let them sprawl all over the ground, but we like to grow things vertically. So we had installed a trellis system, and they climbed up the trellis just as regular morning glories would, and then the... The sweet potatoes are formed in the ground, and you harvest those late summer, early fall, before it gets cold. How tall did the plant eventually get? Well, they got about six feet tall. There are some varieties I've noticed they classify as more bushy type. The ones we did all reached the top of our trellis and was about six feet. And planting them is best done during the warm season, like mid-spring? Right. Uh, well, actually, a little bit later, they usually get the slips early to mid-May, so you really want it warmed up. And they generally have about a 90 to 100 day growing season. You just want to be sure that you harvest them before frost because they are frost tender. And so that's what we did. We just kind of watched them. And as, as it got colder in the in the fall, we started digging them up. And we even had a picture of me holding one that is, I'm gesturing with my hands here, but about a foot long, uh, probably weighed, oh golly, maybe four pounds. It was amazing. We had a variety of sizes. Wow. Yeah. All right. Do the leaves give you any sort of telltale signs that the potatoes might be ready? Yes, they start to die back, so they turn yellow, and that's kind of the clue that it's just about harvest time. What we did was we knew that the variety we had was, say, 90 days, and so about 90 days we started looking and digging around in the soil to see um, how they were forming, and they were pretty close to their harvest date. What sort of care does it need in those 90 to 100 days? Just um, regular water. They're not particularly drought tolerant, and um, we were in a raised bed where they had good drainage, and we also mulched with straw, several inches of, of straw, and we did do some supplemental fertilization. And what we usually do out here is maybe midsummer, do a, a soil drench of fish emulsion. All right. And finally, what's the difference between a sweet potato and a yam? It is simply marketing ploy. Um, they give the name of a yam to the sweet potatoes that have the orange flesh. And regular sweet potatoes have white flesh. And down in the South years ago, they wanted to be able to differentiate. So they gave them the name of a yam. It's not even related to a true yam, which is from Africa. And it's huge and starchy and white. And so it's not related to it at all. 
For more information about growing sweet potatoes in the Sacramento area, what you do is you go online and, and do a search for the phrase growing sweet potatoes in the Sacramento area. And what's going to pop up is a release from Cooperative Extension here in Sacramento County on exactly how to do that. So it's called Growing Sweet Potatoes in the Sacramento Area. You can find it at the Sacramento County Master Gardener website as well, links to it. And if you have a hankering for sweet potato fries, you can grow it yourself. Gail Pothauer, Sacramento County Master Gardener, thanks for a few minutes of your time. Thanks, Fred. You're listening to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Hey! Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. And to clear up a little bit of old business, we were talking uh, with Gail in Vacaville who wanted to know about what are the best best varieties of lavender to grow in our area. Sure enough, the Sacramento County Master Gardeners have a nice herb report uh, posted on the internets. Uh, if you visit the UCE Master Gardeners of Sacramento County website, you can just Google that and uh, look for their uh, article about growing herbs. And when it comes to lavender, uh, the experts there, who wrote this, by the way? Let me see if there's an author on here. No. Okay. Uh, When it comes to lavender, there are some very good varieties uh, that can grow here. Uh, English varieties, that's the Lavendula angustifolia, are considered one of the best for scent. The French hybrid varieties, such as Provence, or superior do well in our region. A Spanish variety has a distinctive flower form. That's the uh, Lavendula stoicus or stoicus. And uh, there is a UC Davis Arboretum All Star selection called Otto Quast, O T T O Q U A S T, Otto Quast. And you might look that up on the UC Davis Arboretum All Star uh, webpage. So, yes, there are some good lavenders uh, for our area. You can grow from seed or cuttings taken in spring or fall. Meanwhile, back on the phones, poor Charlie's been waiting outside in a snowstorm. Hey. Are you in the snow, Charlie? No, no, no snow. Okay. We're done with it. All right, Charlie's in Brooklyn, and uh, always good to hear from Charlie. And golly, Charlie, uh, you, you you almost made it to the Garden Grappler. I know. Oh, well. What can I do? Yeah, I know. It's all timing. Yeah. What's uh, up? I got a, somebody gave me a cutting from a fig tree. Okay. And I kind of caught what you were talking in the other garden show. It has like three or four branches, about four feet high. I should cut that down to my knees? Yeah, if you've got uh, basically the whips, if they're just um, uh, sticks in the ground at this point, and they've rooted, have they rooted? Yeah, because I, tr- I, I mean, the ground might still be frozen, but I stuck them in there like October. Yeah. So they seem like they're in there. All right. Uh, basically, yeah, you could cut that back to 18 inches tall. I think uh, uh, Phil was talking about cutting them back to 8 inches. I think I, I'd go knee height and, All right. and try and that. I was looking on their website. There's a, I don't, might not be saying it right, panache fig? Uh, panache, yeah. Yeah, is that good for? Well, for New York? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Pete's honey fig. It's, uh, that's six to ten. Yeah, the, but the, I could put something around it. To yeah, cover it. the Peter's honey fig. Yeah, Peter's honey. Yeah, that is. Yeah, I think. Uh, I what what USDA zone are you in? It's weird. We're five or we're six. It, okay. it seems like it changes. All right. So yeah, I noticed that the Peter's honey fig is for a USDA zone six through ten. So it might be. Although it does say it has good cold tolerance. 
So yeah. so that might be a good one. And that panache tiger fig, uh, fig uh, I don't know if that would do well in your area or not because it only has 100 uh, chill hour requirement. And, yeah. uh, I mean, if you want to try it, you can see what happens. Yeah, it's always not? fun to try things. Yeah. yeah. It looks nice. It would freak people out in my garden. <laughs> That's the whole idea, isn't it? I would like, yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, give it a shot. Now, I noticed that. Right. Now, remember, yeah. we were talking about that Violette de Bordeaux fig. Yeah. Uh, that a lot of people like, and that goes down to USDA Zone 5. So that would have oh. you covered as well. So you may want to consider that. It's a good idea. Because this, this is supposedly supposed to be uh, the green Genoa. Okay. That this guy gave me. I don't know. I got to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we know it would do well then uh, in your area. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. All right. Give it a shot. You got it. Charlie, good to hear from you. Same here. All right. All right. Bye bye. Okay. All right. Bye bye. All right. Let's uh, go over to Sebastopol and talk with uh, Scott. Scott, welcome to the program. Hi. Hi. I uh, put in a dapple dandy and it grew so much. And I only got. Two pluots after uh, ten years. Oh, after ten years, you, you're a patient. An apricot tree, yeah, and it grew so much I had to keep cutting it back. And my question is, I had a fruit salad tree, and I got apricots off of it after two years. Since then, I can't get any apricots, and I don't know, have any pluots. All right, let's start with the dapple dandy pluot. What is nearby that would be pollinizing it? Um, lots of plums. Okay, the Santa Rosa. You have a Santa Rosa, a Catalina, or Santa a Burgundy? Santa Rosa and a Beauty. And, okay. Uh, and a Burgundy. And by close, how close are one of those? Ten feet. Oh, okay, that's close. Feet. Yeah, that's close. Oh, man. Uh, what I would do in, in a situation like that, is it? Uh, are you pruning it too heavily or at the yeah, wrong time no, of the year? No, uh, huh. we prune it back like it's supposed to be. Okay, when are you doing that pruning? What I found is uh, the local supplier of David Wilson stuff will not sell any apricots without you signing a release. In other words, they aren't getting any pollination, I guess. Wow. All right. So So I figure I got a call. All right. Well, then, yeah, let's move over to the apricot. What was that apricot variety again? Uh... The one originally was on the uh, fruit salad tree, and after that, I don't know what the other one was, but you know, it was five inches diameter when I cut it down hmm. on the trunk. All right, so that would have been Same the the, the, bl- the Blenheim apricot. Yeah. All right, and allegedly that's sell fruitful. So it was. One year. One year. <laughs> that uh, I had th- that same issue with kiwi. It produced one year, and for twenty years, nothing. So, yeah, it, it happens. I, I don't know why that happens, especially when you've got other pollinizers nearby that can, uh, or pollinators uh, nearby that can do that. And well, what I heard this morning on another program was that apparently the bees are not out as early as they bloom. Mm, for which one, the apricot or the pluot? both the apricot and the pluot. Well, now that brings up a whole other issue of are you seeing bee activity around those trees? Occasionally you can go out there and stand there and yeah. listen very quietly and hear some, but not, have not you, a lot of them. Have you considered beekeeping as a hobby? And I ask this in all seriousness, that if you main, if I have the room to maintain a beehive, that might be one possible answer. 
That would be possible, but I don't know if I want to do that. Okay. The other suggestion then would be to put in all sorts of bee-friendly plants, plants that are going to give you a stagger of bloom. Now, one of the best plants to put in, and I might, if I were you, put in a whole row of these, and that's rosemary. Just your your very simple rosemary officinalis, which is a, a common rosemary shrub. It gets about three feet, four feet tall with an equal spread. But blooms like crazy from about September, October, all the way through March and April. So there's plenty of blooms, something for them to do while waiting around for the, the, the fruit trees to blossom. So if you have other plants nearby that are good winter bloomers like the rosemary plant, that might be what you should shoot for. I just didn't know maybe there was a uh, more friendly uh, pluot to put in or one uh, for the uh, apricot one that would maybe come in well one one of the recommendations in the dave wilson catalog as far as pluots go when it comes to uh, uh, pollinating that uh, dapple dandy uh, pluot tree they they talk about uh, the flavor supreme or the flavor king and i might just go with that flavor king because uh, in my estimation that has uh, overtaken the flavor supreme for good productivity. Okay. Or do both. The Is fla- there an apricot that blooms really late so the bees would be out there? Well, I mean, I'm not too worried about... That is the uh, issue. I don't know. It, yeah, we don't know, if, but it can't hurt to, uh, as I like to say, bring on the bees. In fact, if you go to farmerfred.com, and in the middle of the page you will see some links to... Uh, uh, Farmer Fred blog postings, and one of the postings is called Bring on the Bees, a year-round garden for pollinators, and it talks about plants you can put in your yard on a season-to-season basis. And when it comes to winter, it talks about the rosemary, and it talks about the ureops, which is another commonly sold shrub that blooms from uh, September through May uh, to uh, keep the pollinators like bees around. So... That might be something. And, and do just encourage bees on your property, too. Yeah, because all my other crops, grapes, do not encourage bees. <laughs> well, they don't do much for it, yeah. Yeah, you, you need some color. You need some, uh, some neon signs, if you will, uh, of color and to attract them. And I found that when you put in plants uh, that are allegedly attractive to bees... It helps to plant them in three by three squares, in, basically in nine square feet, so that they can't miss the color. It's a it's nine square feet of, of color that they would recognize. And as they're flying around, they see that from a distance and say, hey, I'm going to visit here. You know, plants like uh, Gylardia or Abelia, Coreopsis, uh, even the lavenders, too, that bloom in the fall. Uh, so, yeah, if, if you plant in mass like that, in blocks, uh, you can uh, uh, attract more bees. Salvias, too. A lot of late winter, early spring salvias uh, bloom, like indigo spires and the salvia gregei, uh, the Spanish lavenders, uh, of course, California poppies. You really want to encourage the native bee populations because they can do a lot of good pollinating uh, for your plants. So, again, check out that uh, Farmer Fred Ramp blog page called Bring on the Bees, and you can get a lot of good suggestions there. So let's try that. Yeah, I I wouldn't rip out those trees yet. If anything, I'd plant more of different varieties and also um, make your yard a bit more bee-friendly. Well, I'm going to run out of room. (laughs) Yeah, I know that feeling well. Um, Well, uh, fortunately for bringing uh, in, you know, annuals, 
or small shrubs. They don't require that much room. Fruit trees, again, you know, if you keep them at height, if you don't let them get taller than six or seven feet, you can have a lot more in a smaller space. That's true. Yeah. Hey, uh, Scott, we're out of time here, so All thanks right. for calling. Appreciate well, thank it. Thank you. All right, good luck with that. Yeah, okay, All right. Thank you. Uh, we have to get on out of here, making room for the news, followed by the KSTE Farm Hour. And on the Farm Hour on this week's edition, we talk about uh, another weak link in California's farms, and that's the trucking industry. There's not enough trucks. There's not enough truck drivers And right now, there's a critical shortage to move produce around. And experts are saying if this shortage persists through February, there could be dire consequences for the California produce industry. So we'll be talking about that on the KSDE Farm Hour, as well as talking about the latest and greatest soil amendment that's actually one of the oldest, biochar. Are you familiar with biochar? We go in-depth with biochar. Thanks for listening to Get Growing. I appreciate your support. Bye-bye. 